Hello. Welcome back to the Weirdest Thing Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Scotty Milder. Yes, and I am your other host, Amelia Amporo. And yeah, this is the weirdest thing. This is the weirdest thing. And and so we're doing another movie-themed episode. Yes. Um, Sorry, because... Mom. <laughs> my, my mom gets a little grumpy at the movie episode. Really? <laughs> probably she hasn't seen them, probably. <laughs> yeah, the other day, it wasn't the other day, but a while ago, she was like, all you do is talk about movies now. And I was like, that's not true. And I think it's because there was a chunk where we just kind of had to. Like yeah. It just worked out with schedules. Right. So sorry. But there is an added layer to what we right. are going to talk about today. Yeah. So do you want to kind of explain the concept for today? Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to uh, discuss two movies that have ties to urban legends and we're going to talk about the movies and we're also, at least this is, I, I believe this is the plan. We're also going to kind of talk about the urban legends yeah. that are included or inspired or whatever, right. uh, these films. So the movies that we're doing, uh, When a Stranger Calls from mm-hmm. 1979. Yep. And then I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes. Um, what was that, like 97? Uh... 97, 98, I think. Yeah, yeah. I know it was in college. Yeah. Keep going and I will I will <laughs> I will look up. Yeah. So do we want to do them kind of in order of like chronologically speaking? Yes. And it uh I know what you did last summer did come out in nineteen ninety seven. Okay. Yeah, I thought I read that. Mm-hmm. Um okay. So well I guess we'll go ahead and start with uh, when a stranger calls. Yes. So the movie's from nineteen seventy-nine. It stars Carol Kane. It was directed by Fred Walton and it was written by Steve. Fecky, I don't know, and Fred Walton, and it, along with Carol Kane, it's got Charles Durning, Colleen Dewhurst, and Tony Beckley, which is like interesting for a horror movie, sort of almost a slasher movie of the time, mm. to have this like kind of high, like high powered cast, like particularly yeah. Charles Durning and Colleen Dewhurst were like Broadway, like women. And- I think I saw something that like there's like three Oscar winners mm-hmm. in this movie, and then uh, somebody else is like a multi Emmy Award winner or something. Yeah. So not no small potatoes. And then of course Carol Kane. This was like early in Carol Kane's career, and it's a it's an interesting role for her because I mean we think of Carol Kane as like such a comic actress, you know. Yeah. So to be this like really not I mean there's really no humor in this movie at all. No, there's like the most humorous thing that happens is at the beginning when she's talking to her friend and she's like, Hey, are you talking to Bobby tonight? And her friend is like, well, I really like him too. And I was like, immediately (laughs) get this bitch out of your life. Like (laughs) she's not your friend. Yeah, (laughs) That's like truly the most quote unquote humorous thing that happens in this movie. Yeah. I mean it's really I like I had forgotten. I'd seen this movie a few times. Yeah, but it's been a while. And I'd forgotten how like dour this film is. But anyway, do we want to like oh sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I've never I've never seen When a Stranger Calls. So this was me watching it, it was my first time. And mm. I I had vastly misunderstood what this movie was about. <laughs> I had kind of <laughs> forgotten what this movie was. And it's a very, it's a, it's a weird film. It's a lot weird. Of yeah. <laughs> it's like weirder than you think it'll be. Just kind of structurally very strange, but. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. So do you want do you want to like kind of give the outline of it, or do you want me to? Uh, I'll give the quick, like, very you know, back of the VHS tape synopsis of it. Mm. So basically, you've got Carol Kane plays Jill, Jill. and you know run-of-the-mill much like the urban legend we all know which we'll get to she Mm. goes to a home she's babysitting she's told that the children are asleep and just let them sleep because they're sick blah 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 as the evening progresses she starts getting phone calls uh and the voice on the other end of the line keeps saying have you checked on the children have you checked on the children have you checked Mm -hmm. on the children then it's why haven't you checked on? yeah why haven't you checked on the children and she you know tries to call the police she (sighs) is like she doesn't know what to do she never checks on the children bt dubs yeah (laughs) and eventually the police are like you know obviously the police are completely useless they're like we can't do anything Mm -hmm. try to keep them on the line and we'll try to like trace him which i don't think actually makes any sense finally she keeps him on the line please call back the call's coming from inside the house she exits and you find that there has been there's it's it's this english dude who was like a seaman I guess yeah, like a seaman. He's, like he's like a merchant <laughs> seaman. <laughs> yes. And he was upstairs and he murdered the children like maybe like maybe right after the parents left, maybe. Like yeah. maybe they were already so there he, before they he left. He was like already in the house, basically. Yes, already in the house. And then the movie flashes forward seven years. I thought that the movie was just going to be her in the house dealing uh-huh. with this thing. Well, that's and so when it takes like 20 minutes, I was like, wait, what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that. Well, well, I'll get to it, but I mean that's what the movie's remembered for—is that opening, right? Yeah, and honestly, from my point of view, correctly so, because (laughs) then you flash forward seven years and you see that the dude who was the merchant seaman is like he got taken to an insane asylum and he's been released or he's escaped. It was unclear, and he's like wandering around, being kind of like creepy and weird. And like stuff happens, the detective who had been working, who had like arrived at the scene that night when everything happened the first time has become a private detective and he's now like on the hunt and he's like, I'm going to kill this guy. And like a a bunch of like weird, like you said, dour stuff happens. And Mm -hmm. then you see Carol Kane and she's got two little ones and her and her husband hire a babysitter and they go out. And when she's at the restaurant, she gets called to the phone at the restaurant. Cause again, remember there's no cell phones. This is 1979. Mm. Um, and the voice says, have you checked on the children? And she like basically has a nervous breakdown inside the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they call the babysitter. The babysitter is like, everything is fine. And then I literally watched it this morning. I cannot tell you. Oh no. She goes home. Go home that night, right? Mm -hmm. And she like hears something in her closet and she gets up to go look at it. And then she finds out that the guy who was in bed with her, who she thought was her husband, is actually the insane merchant seaman. Mm -hmm. And her husband is like unconscious in the closet. Mm -hmm. And then I think the seaman dies. Yeah, because Charles Durning, like, (laughs) well, there's a little bit more to it because, like, you know, she calls the police from the restaurant. Yeah. they go search the house. Uh, yes. She's like, and then she and her husband are going to bed. And the husband is like, you know, look, I'll put this gun like right by the bed. And then meanwhile, Charles Durning, who's the private detective on the hunt, like, right. hears from a source inside the police station. They're like, hey, like, he might have just called 
her. So so Charles Durning like rushes over to her house and manages to save her at the like last second. Mm-hmm. Because he's attacking her. Because yeah, somehow he managed to like knock her husband out, shove him in the closet, and climb into bed next door. Yeah. Um, and she when she's like downstairs, I think. So like Yeah. And here's here's the thing. Well, okay, here's a couple things about the movie. So the movie is legendary in horror circles for the opening, I think it's 23 minutes, mm-hmm. which is basically the urban legend that we know and it's so associated with that urban legend that it's actually like unclear did the urban legend come before the movie or did the movie create the urban legend oh okay i saw different yeah well it's because there's i mean there's there's different stories about the origin Mm -hmm. so like one of the stories is that uh the director and screenwriter uh fred walton and steve fecky or whatever don't listen to me i'm getting wait hold on let me check my notes (laughs) Let me check my notes. Okay, because that was that. Okay, slightly, slightly. I've heard slightly different. Okay, well, well, yeah, we'll we'll hear your version like in a sec. But like one of the versions, at least that I know, is that Fred Walton and Steve Fecky, um, the writer, the co-writers, and then Fred Walton was the director, claimed that they read a newspaper article that basically is the story. Um, and so they, you know, about the woman who was getting the calls from inside the house. And so they were saying like, yeah, this is based on a true story. They went and made a short film called The Sitter, mm-hmm. which is essentially that opening uh, 23 minutes. Yep. Um, it ran in theaters before the movie uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which is another like kind of sleazy 70s psycho killer movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is actually, it stars Diane Keaton. That's actually a, a really good movie. And there, and people were so impressed by that short film that they were hired to then expand it into a feature. So the problem with the feature is that they were like, "We've got this killer opening, and then we need to pad out another like hour of material." Yeah. And like, I want to hear your version of like what you heard about the origin, but like just real quick, my hot take on the movie is like the stuff that comes after the opening is like some of it's pretty well done. I think the acting is good. I think. There's some good suspense stuff. Like, I think the camera work in editing throughout is really good. But it's like three different movies jammed together. Very much so. Awkwardly jammed together. Yes. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like, if each... I mean, the, like, the last section is sort of like, you know, a, a mirror image of the first section, obviously. Because mm-hmm. they both have cocaine. But that middle section, is like, that almost should be like its own film. It, it doesn't Yeah. And really like, she's go. not even... In, I mean, God, if she is in the middle of it, I don't remember. And again, no, she's not. I just she's, watched she's it gone this morning. For like, yeah, she's gone for like a half hour of the movie. Yeah. And like, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, I think, you know, a, almost two decades later, Scream would make very good use of mm-hmm. this idea of a girl who's home alone. She starts getting phone, phone calls call. and then she's terrorized. But Scream was like, and that's just the beginning, and we have a whole movie to play out beyond right. that. It feels like when A Stranger Calls was like, we have this killer, like you said, killer opening. And then stuff. <laughs> it's like a yeah. dark, moody well, examination. You know, the The beginning of Scream is obviously inspired by this movie. Yeah. But he went in, like Kevin, we'll, we'll talk more about Kevin Wilson when we get to, I know what you did last summer, but he went into that opening section with Drew Barrymore in Scream, kind of knowing that it was only going to be 20 minutes and had to build out to the rest of the story. 
So it m- works much better as like a cold open. Mm-hmm. But here it's like, I mean, it's just a problem. And like the best part of your movie is the opening 20 minutes. Yeah. And then everything that comes after that feels like an anticlimax. Because even like, like I said, you know, the last section with him in the house with her as a married woman is like pretty yeah. well done, but it's just not as scary as the opening you know yeah you kind of you kind of know where it's going and like yeah and i don't know how i know that they made an updated version in 2006 yeah which i think really is more just the home invasion part right and i'm i i want to i don't i don't know i looked it up and i don't know anybody in the movie so i I can't even (laughs) i don't think i ever saw it i didn't hear good things about it but right and so it's one of those things and this is i think a bit of a problem with urban legends is urban legends are by very nature of how they are spread short Mm -hmm. and not very fleshed out right and so to take something like this and like you said we can talk about this a little bit To take something that's like basically just like the germ of an idea and be like, we're going to start the movie with that. And then Then we got to fill time. See see where it goes. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's, and I think my beef with it too is, uh, is it's a lot of the movie is really focused on the dude. I'm not super interested in that point of view. Well, you know, he's again like so that actor, um, uh, Tony Beckley. He was a very well-respected British actor. He apparently died young, just like a few months after this movie. Yeah, came out. yeah, and he was he was very sick when filming this movie. Uh, supposedly, he quote unquote died of cancer, but what I read is that they think it's possible he might have died of AIDS. But this was kind of before. Because he was gay. Um, he was in a long-term oh. relationship, actually with the producer of the film. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, 1979, it's, you know, because apparently, like, they said, well, it's cancer, but we, but it was, like, mysterious, like, how it spread and why he died. And if you think about 1979, I mean, this yeah, is yeah. just before people understood how the AIDS yeah. virus worked. So, like. Yeah, we were, we were ramping up. But I don't think anyone knows that for sure, you know. Mm, interesting. Okay. No, it's like, it's interesting because, so again, back to the whole, well, here, I want to hear your version of how you heard about uh, how the urban legend kind of ties into the movie. Right. So it's not too long, but what I saw was that the urban legend dated back, they think that it dates back to the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, essentially- essentially the first 20 minutes of the movie and folklorists, um, which again, cool job. Um, folklorists believe that it is based on the 1950 murder of 13 year old babysitter, Janet Christman in yes. Columbia, Missouri okay. on March 18th, 1950. I did that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to get into, uh, the specifics of her murder. Cause it's just fucking, she was 13 years old and it's fucking sad. It's, it's really bad. But what you need to know about it is that she was babysitting for a family that she frequently babysitted for the couple came home at like one 30 in the morning and they found her dead and there were a window was broken the front door was unlocked and the back door was open which led people to believe that the murderer was somebody that she had known she might have let him in yeah yeah that she might have let him in and her if if you look it up there is somebody that they're like this is the person that did it but Mm. the investigation was so bungled that it has not been technically solved to this right. day. Right. And so the thing that's missing from the 
the true story, if this really is the seed of it, is the idea of the phone calls. Yes. And so, you know, I don't know that Fred Walton and Steve Fecky ever really confirmed that this is the news- newspaper story that they had read. Mm-hmm. You know, they said that the movie was based on a newspaper story, but like, I don't think they were ever to point to like a specific one. So the mm-hmm. story became like, oh, this movie is based on the story about a, like a babysitter who was getting phone calls from inside the house. Yeah. But there's no one's ever like actually been able to corroborate that story. Right. What they found is the Janet Christman story, which is like sort of the closest anyone has been able to find. Yeah. But again, that's pretty much the case with all urban legends is right. that, again, like I said, they get. Start with the seed of truth and then. Yeah, and they get passed on, they get passed down, and the, I mean, I won't get into it here, but everybody knows the story about the roommate who came home to find her roommate with the peanut butter with a dog. Like, everybody knows this story. And... And it's one of those things that it's like, you know, they pass on that way and it's always, and it's always super lean. They're always really, really lean on the details. And often there's like, and we'll get to it with the tale of the hook, because there's often like a lot of variations to the story. A lot of very, And that's what I think is interesting about this is that there aren't a lot of variations with this. And I think it's because the actual, like what spread the urban legend, like there might've been a version of the urban legend that existed before the movie. But the thing is when a stranger calls was a very popular film. And so I think what really spread it as an urban legend is the movie. So what people have ended up reciting is essentially the opening 20 minutes of the film. Right, right. Which is honestly terrifying. Yeah, it's very well. Like the movie's kind of worth seeing just for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I watched it. If you have a Peacock account, you can watch it. It's on there for free if you have mm. a paid account. Um, but <laughs> you can go and watch it. And if you choose to go past the first 23 minutes, that's your prerogative. But the first 20 minutes, like, and we've talked about this in terms of why Poltergeist is very scary for me. And mm-hmm. we've talked about this idea that there is this thread in horror where the like perversion of the home as a safe space is something that is very scary to like women right Mm -hmm. and this i think goes along with it that it's like you were in a home you are locked in you know the the shades are drawn the doors are locked you should be safe right and then you find that you're in there with some terrible thing so it really is like it's 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 a very like bone chilling tale but again i this is one that doesn't have a lot of variations no in the movie like it really is a perfect short film Mm -hmm. you know the beginning because it's you know you can just tell the care that was in went into the pacing of it you know all the shot you know the sound design where you hear the ticking clock yeah and the rings getting progressively louder exactly you know yeah um and then it just starts to escalate and escalate towards the end and i love the shot because like i remember seeing the movie when i and and this movie is probably for me somewhat like poltergeist was for you because i saw Mm. this at a very young age Mm -hmm. and the only part of the movie i remember before i saw it again probably the first time i watched it again was probably 10 15 years ago where, Mm. where i watched the whole thing the only part i remembered was the opening 20 minutes yeah, and, but I love the shot when she finally throws the door open at the end, and it's Charles <laughs> Darning standing there, um, just this frumpy cop. Because like my memory for so long was that he was the killer. <laughs> like, <laughs> I legit 
lulled. Like I yeah. laughed out loud because he is, he looks so like, hang you dog, know, kind of yeah, like, hang dog, beat cop. <laughs> oh, my life. And I, I was like, what? And it, it, it's, it's funny to think about this movie. And I know what you did last summer standing sort of in relief to scream and why mm. I think I, I mean, you know me, I'm not like a huge scary movie person. Mm. There's some that I like, but I'm not like, oh, I've got to go see everything. And right. I think part of the reason that I've really held on to scream as much as I have is because one, I was about Sydney's age when the movie came out. Right. So put myself right in it. And two, Sydney was the first time that I saw a character in a scary movie not act like a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. And there are can things we, can we in... can I can I just clarify what I think you're saying? Yeah. When you say first time you saw someone in a scary movie not act like an idiot, I think what you mean is like a slasher movie. Yes. Not like in general. Right. Okay. <laughs> Be- just because that is like a major problem with slasher movies is that yes. the characters are stupid. Yes. And <sighs> I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this today. Like I was thinking about having this conversation with you. It endlessly bothers me that Carol Kane does not just go to a neighbor's house mm-hmm. and be like, hi, I'm getting weird phone calls and they keep telling me to come check on the children. Can you like come in and like help me out and check out this come house with me? With me? Right. Or like when the cop is like, is he saying something obscene? Why wasn't she like, yes, he is. Get your ass over here. Yeah. Just, just like make it up. <laughs> I mean, some of that is, like, watching it through the lens of, like, a modern perspective. Yes. The movie does feel, and I think all of these movies tend to feel really dated. Because I think we're living in this era of, like, we're so inundated with true crime. We all grew up with, like, at the time, serial killers were kind of a new concept, you know? Yeah. So it probably played a little different in 1979. Absolutely. But it is hard to watch. Like, you just want to yell at her to, like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, And again, I had that, and we'll talk more about it when we get to it. I had the exact same feeling when I was watching I Know What You Did last summer. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, what you continue to make the stupidest choices <laughs> having and for anybody out there who might be like you know well what would you do i can tell you what i do because you know a few years ago <laughs> i had somebody ring my doorbell at an inappropriate time mm-hmm. of the night i remember the story here yeah. and i what did i immediately texted you and you were uh-huh. like do you want me to come over and i was like yes i do and then i immediately called my dad and i was like somebody's ringing my doorbell right and he came over and then i called my neighborhood has like an independent security, security company that makes rounds and then i called them i wasn't like <sighs> like opening the door and like walking out there like, right i was like I'm so mad. I know. Like, and we'll get there with, I know what you did last summer, but I mean, there's, I have not seen that movie. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Um, Like I have a couple more things I want to say about when a stranger calls. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, like, I really do want to like advocate for the first 20 minutes of the film. It is legendarily like among the scariest, even if you know the urban legend, it's so well done that it still sucks you in. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of the film, like, 
just a couple of things I want to highlight with the rest of the film. Like, not to be super negative about everything with the rest of the film. I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. I actually think the middle section, which which basically is like, you know, the guy has now escaped. It's seven years later. The guy has escaped from the middle hospital. Charles Durning is hunting him, trying to, like, track him down because he wants to kill him. And meanwhile, the guy gets obsessed with a, kind of a barfly, a woman named Tracy, played by Colleen Dewhurst, and starts essentially trying to ingratiate himself into her life. Yeah, but we and, don't we don't get a clear picture as to why, right? He's just sort of, no, like, just, obsessed with her. He just seems to have fixated. And, like, she's another character who you could say, like, does some really stupid things early on. But somehow, Colleen Dewhurst, I just want to, like, give a shout out to her. She is such a good actor. Mm. And, you know, she was, like, I mean, she was in her, like, 50s at the time. She had been on Broadway forever. I mean, she was, like, very much, like, a better actor than you would expect in this kind of movie. Charles Durning, too, apparently. I didn't realize he was, like, such a Broadway star. Mm. She, I felt like she really sold, even, like, the questionable decisions, like, when he comes into her house or when he comes into her apartment and she doesn't just immediately, like, be like, get the fuck out. She does a good job of playing her just, like, pickled enough Mm -hmm. to not be completely right in 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 like in charge of all of her faculties right you know like like, she's not drunk but it's like she's sort of like she has a really good job of like being like she's had a couple of drinks she may be like synapses might not be firing as fast as they also like she's scared of the guy but she has some empathy for him and like she played you know it's a lesser actor would have like really like turned that character into like the kind of pathetic booze hound who yeah it's a very layered performance yeah exactly and she gives this like really layered performance in like a very underwritten because you know that whole section like that whole storyline if it had been like a full movie that was developed i think it could have worked a lot better but it's such a like an abbreviated like we're trying to shove all this in there essentially filler to get back to Carol Kane. Yeah. That it like the only reason it even a little bit works is I think the acting is really good. Yeah. And it's well shot. Like the stuff of her walking home from the bar is very like well shot and suspenseful. But it just doesn't like it's just like why is that in this movie? Yeah. I mean And I don't have a solution for it. I'll be I'll be completely clear here. I, I don't know I, I don't know how you could have made it better you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like with a movie like whiplash that started as a short film they figured out a way to flush out that story and make it a feature length i don't know that when a stranger calls should have been expanded past the short film well and my understanding is that's the problem with the remake is that they do try to essentially do the entire movie as you know the the you know take that opening 20 minutes and, and turn that into the whole movie right and my understanding is that it just like it doesn't it doesn't support that way. Yeah, because then you start getting into, I mean, you know, what is it? Is it the Intruders? Is that what the name of that movie is? Where like, right? It's like the people who are being terrorized in their home by like. You mean the strangers? That's what it's called, the strangers. Yeah. Yes, but in that case, you have something that happens, and then things keep escalating to a terrifying right. point. If all you've got is the telephone calls. Yeah, if if your if your whole thing was building to the like, oh my god, the call is coming from inside the house. Like Sorry. that you, you can't take 90 minutes to get there, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> the call yeah. is coming from inside the house. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, yeah. I, I I would like to know how the the writers felt about it afterwards. If they were like, you know what, we did a great job with what we had, or if they were like, hmm. I mean, the movie was like well received at the time, and it yeah. was a successful film at the time. But I looked it up. The Rotten Tomato score is like forty one percent. I think over time, people have kind of realized it's like, eh, it's like a third of a good movie. It's a you third know? of a good movie. Yeah. 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 And like that third is great. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, also like interesting, right? If we buy into the idea that the urban legend came first and they did this sort of based on the urban legend, mm-hmm. the urban legend is also lean. Like we said, there is kind of this one story. Yeah. And that's it. And well, like, that's a perfectly plotted, like short suspense story. Yeah. And there are, I saw like some minor variations, but it's Mm -hmm. basically like it ends with like the police coming and a guy being discovered in the attic or like she gets the children and and, like they're making their way out the door when they see like the shadow of somebody coming down the stairs. But it's like essentially like the the meat of the story is the same details. Yeah. I think the only variations I've heard are like you were saying, it's like there are variations on the ending, like once the reveal, after the reveal happened, because I know there are some versions where she is killed. There's some where she rescues the kids, like you said. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like that's but that's really the only area where you have to play with this. Yeah. Which which is maybe a good segue to getting into um I know what you did last summer because yeah. the tales the tale of the hook is very different. Oh gosh. Because so many like variations with that. So story. many variations. So do you want to tell what's like the main version of the tale of the hook that you know? Main version is boy and a girl and they're uh <laughs> they're in a car <laughs> they're in a car i think i've heard all of the like lovers lane or they were traveling and their car broke down or whatever mm-hmm. and they're listening to the radio when they hear an announcement that like a either an either a like a serial killer has escaped from jail or a like Middle a mental patient at a, at a yeah at an insane asylum has escaped uh, has a hook for a hand and they're like, oh, this is super creepy. And they keep hearing some sounds and they're finally like, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. When they drive home, boy drives the girl home. When he gets out to open up her car door for her, either the hook is hanging from the car door handle or is like embedded in the side of the door. Right. That's sort of the general, that's probably yeah. the like classic classic version and i believe that's the version that's in scary stories to tell in the dark mm-hmm. well because the other ones are yeah so i was gonna say the <laughs> first one i actually remember hearing because i probably my brother told it to me because i think i heard this before the scary stories to tell in the dark one okay <laughs> is that you know same setup young teenage couple they're on like a lover's lane um they're making out in the front seat and then you know, they're listening to music on the radio and then you know the newscaster breaks in and says you know so-and-so has escaped from the local mental institution you know be on the lookout for a man with a hook for a hand or whatever and the girlfriend starts to freak out she's like i want to go home and the boyfriend is like no no it's not come on baby you know and she's like no no i want to go home i want to go home and then he goes to start the car he's like fine whatever then he goes to start the car and the car won't start and so then he's like okay i'm gonna have to go somewhere to get help yeah and so he gets out of the car she's sitting there waiting she's like still listening to the radio there's like more updates on like the search for the the killer and meanwhile she hears the scraping mm-hmm. on top of the car yep or the dripping or whatever and yeah. finally she gets out and sees that it's her boyfriend has been gutted and is hanging from a tree and has 
intestines are scraping the top of the car. That's the first version I ever heard. Yeah. And um, the variations on that are also intestines, hands, like he's been killed and strung up from a tree and his hands mm. are like uh, scraping or he's been hung, hung. And it's his feet that are like his toes right. that are scraping. Which like, I think your version is a much better version in terms of the tale of the hook because the hook doesn't really play in to like the second half of my version right you know. then there sorry there's yet another variation mm-hmm. which is boyfriend is like okay well i'm gonna go find help uh-huh. he goes off and when he comes back he finds his girlfriend dead and she's got like she's been murdered by the hook like it's like mm, right. in her so right, right, there right. we have that as well i feel like the girl dying is less popular than mm. the boyfriend dying. The yeah. other version I saw was that she's in there, boyfriend leaves. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> boyfriend leaves and she's like in there. She's listening to the radio. She falls asleep. When she wakes up, there's like, you know, a creepy man like looking in the car, like a horrible looking person looking into the car. And she gets really spooked. And then she realizes that the doors to the car are locked. So she's like, okay. And then the guy brings up one hand and it's got the boyfriend's head in it. And then he brings up the other hand and it's got the keys. And that's like, end of story. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I, I, I think I've heard that one too. And then, then another version I've heard. <laughs> um and i think it's a combination because i think there's this is a combination with a different story but it's a woman no boyfriend she's driving home from Mm. work she Uh hears the newscast on the radio of this the escaped killer she's like uh uh creepy whatever and then as she's driving home a car comes up behind her and starts flashing its brights at her okay so this is high beams which is different different yeah but i've heard it as i've heard it combined with tail of the hook um, really yeah so you know there someone's flashing light she thinks it's the psycho killer finally the guy forces her off the road and was like get out of the car get out of the car and then she gets out and what she realizes is that the killer was hiding in the back seat and the guy was signaling yes. her um yes. and i've heard that as a version of the tale of the hook and i've also hmm. heard it because i think it's in um scary stories to tell in the dark as high beams right yeah it's, it's high like beams a- yeah independent story and she actually pulls into this bitch again she's being followed (laughs) by a guy who's flashing his lights at her and she drives home and she pulls into her driveway don't do that no no um go to the police station police stations frequently aren't open go to a gas station a mcdonald's somewhere where there's people somewhere where there's people the guy to your home Don't lead the guy to your home. Yeah. Okay. So what I saw about this, again, according to (laughs) folklorists, folklorists and historians, this myth dates back to uh, the U.S., the 1950s, widespread among teens by 1959. And it actually ended up in a Dear Abby column. Right. I I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, So- I'm just, yeah, I'm going to read. This uh, was uh, submitted. It appeared in newspapers on November 8th, 1960, and it reads, Dear Abby, if you are interested in teenagers, you will print this story. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose for me. A fellow (laughs) and his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking. The music was interrupted by an announcer who said there was an escaped convict in the area who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as 
having a, a hook instead of a right hand. The couple became frightened and drove away. And when the boy took his girl home, he went around to open the car door for her. And then he saw a hook on the door handle exclamation point. I will <laughs> never park to make out as long as I live. I hope this does the same for other kids. Signed, Jeanette. Jeanette, mm. I, I hope you went on to have a full and robust life. <laughs> well, what's interesting <laughs> about that is, is, is you know, a lot of uh, when you read like stories of Tales from the Hook, or like, you know, analysis of Tales from the Hook, Yes, it's, it's almost like it serves the purpose of slasher movies served in the 80s, where it's like a warning against like teenage sex. Very much so. Yeah, we've got a um, like a, a, a moral custodian, mm -hmm. right, who's going around and like making sure that the kids, you know, which is really sort of like very imposing your own morals on, you know, the next generation. I also wondered about this. Right. So we've got both of these myths. Oh ranging in like the mid 1900s, right? Around the 1950s, 1960s. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the hook, clearly a boy and a girl, they're out doing something. Majority of the time it's they're making out on lover's lane. Right. And I just was like, I wonder what it would have been like to have been a queer kid during this time. Right. Mm -hmm. And to like be hearing these stories and to be like, well, out of all of the things I have to worry about being a queer kid, I guess I don't have to worry about this because it's only like these, these, all of these urban legends are always very firmly heteronormative, mm -hmm. right? It's always about protecting the the daughter, the girl, the virgin. Right. I mean, again, going back to like slasher films and the final. Right, movie. right. This, I will say, this urban legend, which I guess we're going to discuss the urban legend, and then we're going to get into I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. The inspiration for this and how how like this or how this myth originated, we know more about it, I think. Uh -huh. And it's interesting. Uh, it's I saw that speculation was that this had been inspired by real life Lover's Lane murders, mm -hmm. um, and specifically the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight murders. Right. Which is the basis of the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yes. Which is not is a good that, movie. It's really is that the movie. movie where the girl gets killed with the trombone? Sure is. Yeah, it sure is. And that's based on the it's 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 a it's taken from the true story where a girl was walking home from like band practice and she had a saxophone. Yes. Um, and then she was murdered. And so the movie turns it into like she had a trombone and then he takes the trombone and takes the knife to the end of it. And he's playing the trombone as he stabs her. I mean, it's real dumb. It's real stupid. If you want to look it up on YouTube, I did. And it is, it's just, it's just goofy as hell, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and sad because, you know, this young woman did in fact lose her life. And the true story of the Texas kind of Moonlight Murders is terrifying. Like, it's, it, they should have just done that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fucking chilling. Brief primer on the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Uh, they took place in 1946 over the span of a few months, right? And right. basically it was um, it was couples that were killed. I think the first couple actually both survived. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, two more couples who were murdered. The girl who's coming home from the music concert was actually with a guy. They were both murdered. There's another pair. And then there's the pair, I think their name are the Starks, who were shot in their home. Yeah, it's the married Like couple. through a window. Yeah. And I think I've heard like people are not 100% sure that they're related, but it's like the time frame and the fact that like no one was like, there's not a lot of murders in Texarkana at the time. So yeah. the fact 
that you know these all were happening all at once you know yeah to this date unsolved Yep. Of course, there are the people who, you know, wonder if there's a link between the Texarkana Moonlight Murders and the Zodiac Killer, since there uh-huh. was some cases where there was a similar MO. Uh-huh. And yeah. theoretically, you know, the killer, you know, it's only like a 20 some year separation between the uh, Zodiac killings and the Texarkana killings. So it could like theoretically it could be the same person because if he was like in his 20s and uh, you know he would have been in his 40s or 50s and the yeah. Zodiac time period. When was oh. the Zodiac? I thought the Zodiac was like firmly in the 70s. I think it started in the early 70s. I'm trying to remember if there was any like well this is a bit of a digression but like there's there's the whole theory of the killing that was down in um, like Riverside was I think 1965. Okay, um, right, right, people right. People are not 100% sure it's related to the Zodiac killings. And then I think the Zodiac killings started either in like the very late 60s, like 69, or the very early 70s. I don't remember the, yeah. the official start date. But but yeah, so will, like 25 year kind of difference. Right. So. I will say that with two of the couples, and when I first started reading, because I was like, wait, let me like remember about the Texarkana. The first two couples, the age difference between the man and the woman, the guy was 25 and I think she was... 19 Uh and then i think in the second one the guy was 29 and she was 16 and i was like i know like different time but and so i was wondering i was like i wonder if that has something to do with it but then the other two were like 17 and 16 and then the married couple were in their 30s Mm. and they were married you know They didn't have a huge age difference between them. I think he was 37 and she was 36 or something. Well, I think in the in the shooting of the married couple, didn't she survive? I think the husband was killed. She, but survived. she survived. Yeah. Yeah. She sorry to get graphic, but she was shot twice in the face. Yeah. And survived. It's very, I mean, that that story is very grisly. Like, yeah. It's one and I think it's when you talk about unsolved serial killing stories, like I think you know the top three that people are fascinated with are Jack the Ripper, Zodiac, and Texarkana: The Night Murders. Like, you know these these are kind of like the the quintessential unsolved serial killing stories. Yeah, which is interesting that you bring that up because in the digging around that I was doing, there's a literary scholar named Christopher Petard, and he traces elements of this Lovers Lane murder hook thing to this like plot to Victorian literature, specifically the 1913 horror novel, The Lodger by Marie Adelaide Bullock Lowndes. Interesting. Which also took inspiration. That novel took inspiration from the Jack the Ripper murders. Right. And then it was made into a, I think the very first Alfred Hitchcock film. The silent film directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, I, I know the lodger oh, from the Alfred Hitchcock connection. I didn't realize there was a connection to this. So that's yeah, which again is one of those things, right? Where it's like, I, I think that's the thing that's fascinating about urban legends is are we coming from something that is like rooted in reality, like Jack the Ripper, Texarkana Moonlight Murders, right. or are we coming from something that is, you know, sort of like the the tales that we tell to teach young women to like not go necking in cars? Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, where is the stuff that is actually rooted in 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 truth and where is the stuff that's just rooted in like well I'm, cautionary I'm, tales right i'm always fascinated by the just the game of telephone aspect of these things yeah it'll start with this true story and then it just embellishes over time you know? right it also gets more general over time like you said an urban legend depends on brevity and on this kind of general sense of like it's it's an anonymous boy and girl mm-hmm. right 
Um, the more, and I think this is back to when the stranger calls, this is where that movie struggles a bit is because it almost like loses its power. The more it tries to develop the characters and it makes the more it tries to make, I mean, they even name him. His name is, um, uh, Kurt Duncan in the film, the killer. Um, the more they try to like sort of explain him, his psychology and everything, he just becomes more like just a guy you know yeah whereas like the guy who's calling from inside the house like that's there's something elemental about that or the, right. the hook man there's something elemental about that right so it's like fascinating to trace back to like the real story but it's also fascinating to like think the other way about how like a true story can become this kind of folklore mythology that like mm-hmm. encompasses everybody Yeah. And what I think about to to go back to what I was saying a little bit, I think what's also interesting is, you know, so you've got these real life things and then you've got these books, these stories, whatever, that are written loosely based on or inspired by real life things. And then the urban legend gets born out of the fiction. Right. You know, like it's just, yeah, it's like this societal game of telephone that is being played where Mm -hmm. their stuff is being passed down. And it's interesting to see, too, how it sort of evolved from these urban legends where people were like, no, this happened. No, this happened. And what we have now in 2023 is like creepypasta, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are like, that's a creepypasta. Yeah, but it's (laughs) it's not real. It's a creepypasta. But creepypasta like serves the purpose. Of, and I think creepypasta, I mean, essentially Slender Man kind of became an urban legend because there were people who believed it. Yeah. yeah. Even though, like, you can trace that one back to an original author, you know? Yeah. So Scotty and I were like, hey, let's talk about some scary movies and the ties that they have to urban legend movies or the ties that they have to urban legends. And I'm going to be real honest. I thought I know what you did last summer had a much stronger tie. Yeah. It, yeah, does, urban it, it certainly does have a tie to the hook man i mean they even tell the stories at the beginning of the film it very much so but they it, do but then it's like but okay we're it, done with that <laughs> yeah because we'd also we were like should we should we do the urban legends movie and we were like no no because it's real bad let's not do that you threw Um, out i know what you did last summer i think is a joke because when you said movies based on urban legends i was like well you have to do in a stranger call because that's the most famous version yes but then you're like i think you're kind of joking with we should do i know what you did last summer and i was like oh i have a soft spot for that movie let's do it yes but i hadn't watched the movie since it came out so this is my first time watching it in like 25 years let's get into it let's get into it (laughs) yeah wow okay again back of the vhs at blockbuster synopsis you've Uh got four friends julie helen barry and ray it's you know they're in the prime of their life it's fourth of july they live in this you know idyllic coastal town and i think south carolina one of the carolinas yeah one of the carolinas even though i could have i did not know that until i like looked at the imdb there's one point where you see a license plate that's like yeah i really had thought that this was going to be like new england or or, or oregon. oregon yeah, yeah. like the so there's that but fourth of july weekend they're having a wonderful time helen has just won the beauty pageant they go out they are you know they have a little bonfire on the beach barry's drunk because that's the kind of person that he is and as they're driving home they hit somebody 
They believe him to be dead. They have a discussion about what they should do. They end up dumping him in the ocean. Um, He's like not quite dead. And then the movie flashes forward to a year later and... (laughs) Julie, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, is the epitome of a guilt-ridden 19-year-old. She has stringy hair and Uh, she's very pale. (laughs) And she receives a letter that says, I know what you did last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, She goes back home. The four friends have like completely drifted apart. They don't talk to each other anymore. They come back together. They all accuse each other of doing this. And they figure out that the guy, they're like, he must have not been dead. Right? Is that what the oh he that's, must that's that's a late that's late revelation because she thinks it's this this kid who is when I say she um Julie the Jennifer Love Hewitt character she thinks it's this kid who had washed up like three weeks later right David Egan and right. so they're go so you go through the whole movie thinking that the person we killed is David Egan and that the person who's stalking us is like one of his friends right a family member a loved one. Right. And and the whole story of David Egan is that he was like super depressed because a year earlier he was in the car crash where his fiance died. Which also the just brief interjection, them looking through the websites for the articles oh, and they're so just like 90s. click, click. Yeah. And it's just like yeah. <laughs> like AOL Explorer or whatever it used to be. I love I love 90s internet. yes it's amazing uh yeah she just keeps clicking on the screen and it just magically generates new articles like she's not clicking on links or anything i know it's very strange yeah so come to find out that it's not this david egan kid Uh that it's actually what had happened was the car crash that had happened that he was all depressed about had killed his fiance Uh and her father was basically driving David Egan to like kill himself. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, I guess essentially what happened. I think it's, you know, he was sort of driving him to kill himself, but then was like got impatient and went to kill him because yes. the, that's the reason why the father. Yes. yes. Uh, Benjamin and so, something. Yes. Ben, ben Willis was his name. Right. And come to find out that that's Ben Willis, the father, is actually who they ran over and they just didn't make sure that he was dead. And he's been terrorizing all of them. He kills he kills Barry and uh, spoilers, I guess, Barry and Helen. But Ray and Julie make it make it out. okay. then you flash forward another year. Ray and Julie are together. She's at college and she's like getting into the shower and she's like, oh, man, we're having such a great time. I can't wait until I see you. And a friend says like, Julie, you got a letter. She goes out to see it. She thinks it's another, I know what you did letter, but it's a letter to like a pool barbecue yeah, or something. Yeah, it's like a pool party, right? And she's like, oh, I'm so foolish. And you can tell that she's doing a lot better because her bangs aren't stringy in that last scene. Right. She's got some bounce to her hair now. (laughs) Yes, Yes, exactly. And um, uh, then she goes back into the shower room and she sees that the words I still know have been written on the mirror in the fog. And then like somebody comes crashing out of the shower doors. It's it's like your typical slasher movie tag. You know, yes. it's like the end of Carrie where the hand comes out of the ground. Right. You know? And I believe when you moved into the second one, it the second one starts with that. And then Julie wakes up and it's, and a, it's dream. a nightmare. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and like 
I'm just gonna say, like, I do remember seeing the second one, and it's very much not worth watching. And I know there's a third one, and I like don't even. When the third one is a way out, it'd be interesting, yeah, right? Because we're talking like none of the original cast is in the third one. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, because I think it was like ten years later or something. Yeah, we should. Either. We should also say Julie is played uh, by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Helen is played by Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, uh, Barry is played by Ryan Felipe, and Ray is Freddie Prince Jr. Uh-huh. So Albuquerque connection, Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's more than one Albuquerque connection to this chunk of the story. The movie is oh, based. I know, I know, mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. The movie is based on a Lois Duncan novel called "I Know What You Did Last Summer." It's from like the mid '70s, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I looked into the I looked into the book and it's one of those things where I'm like they should have made that movie. They should have mm. just made the movie based on that I don't, I don't book. I've never read the book. So, of it. So, the big thing with the book is same thing four friends, Julie, Helen, Barry and Ray, and uh they hit and um kill a little boy on a bicycle. Mm. And then a year later, the letters start mm. coming. And like throughout the thing, you find out that, you know, Julie and Ray have broken up. Helen and Barry have broken up and Helen is dating some guy and Julie is actually dating some other guy and all this stuff. You know, they're trying to figure it out what, like how this is working, what happens. And essentially what you end up finding out is that Helen and Julie are actually dating the same guy and that mm. he is the kid's older brother okay who has come back and i saw that this is let me look this up real fast so the story was inspired uh by lois duncan was like at her home here in albuquerque yeah and she overheard her daughter carrie having a conversation with a friend in the kitchen carrie told her friend about a boy that was interested in her and the friend was talking uh, uh she was like what should i wear for the date that i have and the two eventually discovered that they were talking about the same boy mm-hmm. and lois duncan was like wondered what would happen if, quote, the boy had deliberately implanted himself in the lives of two girls he knew were friends, and if he built up a different personality to present each of them. Yeah, that's way more interesting. Right. Because, I mean, here's the thing about I Know What You Did Last Summer. Hit me with it. <laughs> you know, it's written by Kevin Williamson, who, you know, was hot off a of screen. Right. I did, I did not look up who the director is. I don't think it matters. And it's, like, trying to do, like, the clever screen thing with the quippy dialogue and stuff. Yep. But it's just, it is, like, the most, like, by the numbers. Yeah. Predictable slasher movie with, like, where the characters are really stupid. Because, like, what was, like you said, what's so great about Scream is that the characters are actually not really stupid. Yeah. And this one, they are. They are unbelievably stupid like when she gets the i know it you know julie gets the first note she did last summer letter and they go to talk to barry who's well played i will say by uh an asshole-ish ryan philippe um, when they walk her to his house and he's all drunk and like his tank top like, and he's like what, what are you, you doing here? yeah <laughs> sarah um, michelle geller i also think is great in this movie yeah We'll, we'll we'll reserve commentary on the other ones. Um, but like, you know, they go to Barry and they're like, you know, we got, you know, Julie got this letter and he's like, it's nothing. Just someone's... And I'm like, 
you know you like murdered a dude and some of the saying i know what you did last summer and he's like well, i don't know who did a lot of things last summer like dude like connect to the fucking dots like my yeah my patience ran out um <laughs> literally at the beginning of the movie when they hit the dude and yeah. jennifer love hewitt's character is like we need to go to the police mm-hmm. as is helen like Helen's also like, yeah, we need to do this. And Ray says it's manslaughter will fry for sure. Uh I don't know that anybody's ever gotten the death penalty for manslaughter. It's the entire definition of manslaughter is like, it's sort of an accidental death. Yeah. And to boot, I'm telling you this right now, you as my friend, if you and I are ever in the car together and we run over somebody and I'm like, we should go to the police. And you're like, no, I'm going to go. Okay. And then I'm going to literally have you drop me off and go to the police. Yes. Yeah. As, as I would expect you to, because you know, (laughs) here's the thing I know about you is that you're not fucking dumb. Like, (laughs) and and here's the thing I'm fairly certain about myself is that I'm not fucking dumb. Yes. Like I wouldn't think I could just like get away with it. And they, like, throw an unweighted body into the ocean, like, 10 feet from shore. Right. Come on, guys. There's just, like, a lot that doesn't make sense in this film. And then, oh, and then if I'd had any patience, it also would have, any, 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 you know, remnants of patience also flew out the window when they all are talking about it and... Ray is like, hey, hold on, hold on. Because I think they're like, we're going to set a trap for him or whatever. Or no, they're talking about going out to the sister's house. Uh And Julie says something because he's like, wait, 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 let's hold on. Let's hold on. Like, I I just think that we should take some time to make the right decision. And Julie says something like, I'm tired of doing what's right. I want to do what's smart. And I'm like, you've literally done neither at any point in the movie, nor will you from this point on. Right. Like, (laughs) Well, you make like, stupid decision. Can we just talk about the sister? Like, so they're, they're trying to figure out who it is that's stalking them, and they think it's this David Egan is the one that they killed. Yes. And they they look up, and it's like he has a sister that lives out in the countryside, played by an incredibly hammy but super fun Anne Heche. Also, it was just may she rest in peace. May she like it was so lovely to see her because she was like. I don't know if she was like at her prime when this movie was done, but she just, she looks beautiful and mm. she's like young and gorgeous. She's just perfection. And she's good. But also. Like, but her character is kind of doesn't make sense, but she's very much, good. very much in a realm of like deliverance, like right. bo- like bog people. It's like <laughs> deliverance chic because it's like, she looks like a model, but she's supposed to be like a hillbilly. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing a dress that is like only slightly removed from a gunny sack right. smock. <laughs> and yet I'm Anne Hage, right. <laughs> With like a smart little pixie cut. Mm. But yes. like, so they go out to talk to her and it's, it's just uh, Julie and Helen. Yes. And they have no plan. Like, and like, Julie's like, I, I figure we'll play it by ear. You're going to talk to the sister of the dude you murdered. Like, you maybe murdered. have a conversation about how you're going to approach this before you get there. And then they get there, and it's like this whole bullshit of like, um, our car broke down. Can we use your phone? Well, like, how are you then going to bring up the fucking dead brother? Like, 
which I mean, they kind of managed to find a way to do that. But then when she goes back later, it's like, what's your excuse going to be now? Because she's going back to like have the sister identify the friend. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I'm the girl whose car broke down outside your house. And now yeah. I want you to point out the friend of your brother's who's who died. Like, like just, again, it's just like they are incredibly stupid. Yes. And it's, and again, just like you said, the sister. And at first, I thought you meant Helen's older sister. Oh, that's who, a fun character. She's, she's Elsa. Yes. Elsa, played, played by Bridget Wilson. Hold on. I have to click on her name because it's being hidden. Bridget Wil- Wilson Sampras, uh-huh. who, yes, she played the teacher in Billy Madison. That's what I thought. Okay. I knew um, I recognized her from something else. Yeah. She plays Helen's older sister, and there's a point where Helen is being chased by the murderer, and they go, Helen and Elsa's dad runs like a store, like a little department store type yeah. of thing, or a ladies store, and Elsa is like closing up, and Helen runs up being, cha- being chased by a murderer and is acting appropriately, and she's banging on the door, begging her sister to let her in, and she's like, please, 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 he's behind me, he's behind me, and the sister is like, Ugh. <sighs> Hold your horses. And I was like, I don't care if I hated my sister. If I saw her acting like that, I would be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And it's it's very like, here she is with her hysterics. I mean, we've and never so of course, we've seen her acting hysterical. No. So like, this does not seem to be part of their dynamic. Right. Like, like maybe she's a little bit of like an entitled brat or whatever. But even then, like you can clearly see she's not fucking doing well. She yeah. can't even work at the fucking perfume counter of this like ladies store. <laughs> and it's just all like this is this is a, a beef that I had with it is everything is just set up to like clear the way for the murderer. Mm. There is no obstacles at all. And again, in contrast, yeah. I think is a thing that Scream does really smartly is that it's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. The cops are there. Everybody's around. Sydney's smart. Right. Like the murders have the murderers have to work for it and yeah scream. and they kind of get their asses kicked and scream. Yes. In, like which is one of the, like, I know the fun you... things about it is like yes. you know they're 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 not like michael myers or jason Voorhees, automaton like unstoppable forces it's like mm-hmm. they're dudes in fucking ghost face costumes yes. getting hit in the nuts with like beer cans beer right bottles. they're getting like, yeah like fucking tvs are being dropped on them and shit yeah and by comparison i know what you did last summer is literally shooting fish in a barrel yeah like <laughs> well I mean, and he's also killing people that like make no like he kills the fucking big bang theory guy at the beginning oh, yeah. nothing to do with anything and again if i opened up the trunk of my fucking car and there was a dead dude covered in crabs immediately to the police station immediately right. if for nothing else just to be like on the record have a paper trail i didn't do this right also like they're in the middle of a fucking neighborhood middle of the day she opens her trunk his body matt the big bang theory guy's body is in her trunk covered in crabs she screams and runs, goes to Barry's, gets Barry and Helen. They come back, and the trunk is not only is the body gone, but all the crabs are gone, and it's like perfectly clean. And there's like a jack in there or something. Yeah, and, and it's dry. Like, how, did, how the fuck did he get everything out of the car in the 15 minutes that you were gone? Like, and nobody saw him. Nobody saw. Nobody was like, "Hey, I saw a guy picking up Jonathan Galecki or whatever his name." Was. Jonathan Galecki. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
out of the fucking trunk of this car and then scraping a bunch of crabs out of there. Like it is it's I the think- crabs that like like <laughs> if if the if it had just been the body in the car, I could have almost bought it. But the fact that there's like 200 crabs in there with <laughs> it. <laughs> like, come on. And why the crabs? Like that's so it's 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 it's, it's an inexcusable waste of resources <laughs> to creep this poor girl out when she's right. already clearly her sanity is is fraying by the moment. I mean, like I think a dead body in your trunk would be enough. The crabs is just gratuitous. It's overkill. You don't need that. And I think like this is this is a movie that and I I get it. I get it because Scream was so successful. Right. I get it. And I remember that in the years directly after Scream was released, all of these slasher movies were coming out. Yeah, right. Urban Legend came out. Yeah. But the thing that people it's it's it feels like such a Hollywood thing, right? To be like, uh, well, here's this movie that did really well. And instead of being like, why did it do really well? It did really well because it didn't follow the formula of other slasher movies. Right. And we had all of the, we had a smart protagonist. We had, you know, right. all of these things. They instead were like, you know, you know what kids want? You know what kids want? Slasher movies. Let's do that. And then they made a shit ton of really stupid ones. Yeah. And like, it's like. Oh, here's what kids want. Like, let's just get another cast member from Party of Five and put her in the movie. Like, <laughs> you know that we like screaming girls from Party of Five. Let's go. No, when is the when is the little genre. one gonna? Yeah, like, when's the little one gonna be old enough to do it? Let's book yeah. her too. And it's it's not dissimilar to what we're seeing with the Barbie movie right now. That everybody mm. went and saw Barbie and had a great time and loved it. And the studios are like, you know what people want? Movies about toys. And it's like, no. Yeah. Nobody wants to see a Polly Pocket movie. Right. <laughs> Literally no one wants to see a Polly Pocket movie. Yeah. We liked Barbie because Barbie had something cool to say. Yeah. And it was fun and bright and pretty and whatever. All of the reasons that people liked the movie. Yeah. It's not because we've all been sitting here being like, if only people would make a movie about toys. And, but the unfortunate thing is, I know what you did last summer actually did do really well. It did. So then it. It, it reinforced the idea. It kind of reinforced the idea. Um, but luckily, you know, that late 90s slasher boom died pretty quick. Like it was maybe a three or four year span. And then there's like, and then it was like, uh, zombies. Let's, let's go to zombies. Yeah. yeah. And then they were like zombies, 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 zombies all the time. Zombies 24 seven forever. Right. Zombies forever. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it. It's just, it's interesting. And I think it's really fascinating that even through that, right? Even through the like death of the 90s slasher movie and into zombies and stuff, Scream kept happening. Right. Well, And, and they, they kept putting out movies and they kept doing the damn thing. Well, the thing is, and like I said, I said this before, the Scream movies remain consistently good. Like some of them are better than others, but I don't personally think there's an actual bad Scream movie. Mm-hmm. I know you don't like the fourth one, but... My thing is like the fourth one has a lot of good things in it. The third I, the third one that everyone hates is actually I think one of the better ones. It's got a dumb twist at the end, but like Here's my thing. I like Scream 4. I would have loved it if it just had if the the bad guy had been played by a different actor. Yeah. I just don't like that person. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm with, so I'm with you on that. <laughs> Well, and like, and I thought like the last one that came out, was it earlier this year? Or was it end of last year? Or whatever. It was like, whatever, the most recent one. Like the re- revelation of who the killers were in that one was also a little like, really? Like, but the rest of the movie was so solid that like, 
you know, you just kind of go with it. You know, they never really dumbed down that series the way that these things tend to get dumbed down. Yeah. And like, you know, people, I think, really hated Scream 3 because of the Hollywood thing. But that's like the most perfect, like, these movies are meant to be satires. Like, what makes Scream work is that they kind of work both as a straight-up slasher movie and as like a satirical comment on slasher movies. And they walk a really great tightrope between the two i mean the fact that they are making movies in the movies based on the movie like it's, it's and it's clever it's again it's like yeah okay it kind of like loses steam at the end but like all of the setup is great parker posey is fucking fantastic i'm sorry movie. i will not hear any slander against parker posey <laughs> on this podcast so like she is fantastic no, I've, never seen, I've never i've seen her in bad movies but i've never seen her bad in she's never bad no she's fantastic yeah you know i even like courtney cox's little wiglet like <laughs> i'm not gonna it, lie yeah, yeah she does have <laughs> weird hair in the movies <laughs> but like weird little bang wiglet yeah no but i know i know what you did last summer is like such a just like you said it's such a misunderstanding and what's disappointing is that they got the screenwriter from scream yeah like he didn't even understand what made scream so great and i'm part of me is like again that's another thing where i would like love to know the insider information if he was like okay cool and he wrote like a smart script and then they were like nope 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 what we need is jennifer love hewitt in a low-cut tank top and then give her a chance to like spin around and scream what are you waiting for that's what we want yeah yeah i mean i don't know that that that's very possible because he did i believe he also did the faculty which kind of came out at the same time which is like the faculty is an interesting like it's not a great movie but but again it's like got some kind of fun clever stuff in it yeah he never quite i mean he you know he went on into dawson's creek obviously but he never in terms of the movie stuff he never quite was able to recapture the magic of screen and i mean you know, like m- maybe it's just that, right? Yeah, that they were like, cool, turn out situation. another one. And he was like, I don't really have anything else. Yeah. You know, I still think that the original plot of the novel, I know what you did last summer, should be turned into a movie. I like, Way more, I think yeah, it's a great I'd, and creepy. I'd love suspense. to see like a reboot where we just, I mean, you could even adapt the novel and give it a different name so that it's not, so people don't associate it as closely with yeah. these movies. Can we talk about Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr.? Because I have thoughts. Yes. Real quick. I also just do want to interject that Lois Duncan went into the movie theater and saw it and was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. She <laughs> was deeply, deeply disappointed with, yeah. with the movie yeah. version. Fair. And yes, Fair. absolutely. Let's talk about uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Let's talk about Freddie Prince Jr. So, I just have to say, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt makes me, like, disappointed in... 1990s scotty because (laughs) like i saw this movie in the 90s and was just like crushing on her so hard i watch this movie now and i'm like you are insufferable she screams at everything she screams at everything like literally everything Um, (laughs) (laughs) literally everything she spends the entire movie screaming she screams more than anyone screams in the movie screen like (laughs) (laughs) in the movie titled of the action less people do it than jennifer love hewitt did it alone and i know what you did last summer yeah it's yes i mean it's just it's too much 
it's too much. And it is, it is one of my least favorite tropes in scary movies is when girls, because it's always girls, just sit there and they see something and they just, instead of doing something, they just sit there and scream. Yeah. And part of the my reasoning for that is, and I'm sure you're going to have thoughts about this, but part of my reasoning for that is, is that is a behavior that is the result of dramatic conditioning. Uh-huh. 99% of people when faced with a body in a trunk covered in crabs are not going to scream. Right. And part of that is just based on like reptilian lizard brain survival. If you see something like that, survival st- instincts kick in. And why would you scream and draw attention to yourself? Mm-hmm. Exactly. One of the dumbest things she does at the end is like, they're on the boat. Ray, Freddie Prince Jr. is fighting fucking the Fisherman Hook guy. Yes. She calls out a thing. And as he's like fighting Fisherman Hook guy, she's like, Ray. And he turns and looks at her and then gets knocked yes. into the fucking ocean. It's like, yes. Jennifer Love Hewitt, keep your goddamn mouth shut. Like, I will also say, I'm sure that none of this was Jennifer Love Hewitt's doing. No, I'm no. sure that she was not like, hey, guys, I've come in with a bunch of really good choices. My pockets are full. <laughs> and um, to be fair, to be fair to uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, I've seen her be good at things. So I, yes. I agree with you that. <laughs> we're just, we're. it feels like we're we're stating this in a way of like, she she did this terribly right, and no. she was just given. That's a good clarification. Hit. When I say like I was crushing on her so hard, what I was why I'm disappointed in myself is I was crushing on Julie, not on Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I watch her now, I'm like, what? Why? But important distinction to make. Yes. No, like to go with what you were just saying though about the screaming, it's a thing that I like I talk to my my screaming students all the time where it's like they're afraid of subtext. So what they do is when they need to show a character expressing anger, they shout. When a character is sad, they cry. They right. weep. They burst right. into tears. When they're right. scared, they scream. And it's like, you're 100% right about the screaming and that like survival instincts alone make it not make sense. Yes. But it's also just the most boring, cliched choice you can make. And yeah. I agree, like, I think this was not, this is not her. Like, I think this was clearly something she was directed to do. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it's bad. But also, like, her character, other problems I have with the character is, like, she's so judgy of the other three. And I'm like, you were just, like, fucking part of those same. You murder. look like a Victorian ghost. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you were pale. You have stringy hair. How dare you judge anybody else? Yeah. Like, look at your life. Look at your choices. You are a wreck. How yeah. dare you? Yeah. <laughs> like, like when she's in the car with Helen, Sarah Michelle Geller, and she's like, you know, and uh, Helen was like, maybe he wanted to die. Like maybe he was sitting there waiting for us to come along. And she's like, whatever helps you sleep at night. And I'm like, yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> she is. She's real judgy. And it's like, well, maybe you should have fought a little bit harder, bitch. Like when we were all talking about it, maybe you should have been like, you all can do whatever you want. The second we get back into town, I'm going to the police. Yeah. But you didn't. You just sit there and like looked all shifty eyed, <laughs> like you do. And you then your, like, you know, quivery upper lip thing going, but like, <laughs> and then went off to college and didn't yeah. wash your hair, right, for an s- entire semester, for an entire for an entire year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Freddie Prince Jr. Okay, here's the thing. 
everything I've ever seen about Freddie Prince Jr., he seems like the super likable guy. Yes. I've heard good things about him from people who grew up with him in Albuquerque. Yeah. I have just never seen him be good in a movie. You know what? He what like and you know I think he kind of figured out like okay I had my run because he hasn't hasn't been doing much lately but like he he's just like he's just a sad puppy and like a handsome man form. Yes, I will also say not that I'm like necessarily looking at okay so just to go back to this it says that Scream Six was released in 2023. Okay, I guess that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember like when I saw it, but it was 2023. To go back to the Freddie Prince Jr. thing, I will say that I have seen interviews with him where he talks about how many conversations he had with family members who were like, you're walking in your dad's footsteps, make us proud. You got to go out and do this thing. You're going to make your dad proud. And I wonder how much of that was him even having an acting career was just kind of feeling like he had to. Yeah. And from like what I remember, I feel like I remember him talking about this, like these people were saying to him, people were saying this stuff to him in Spanish because Mm. Freddie Prince was. You talked about him, I think, on the comedy store. Yeah. And that he like, you know, generational pressure. Right. to accomplish something is is rampant in the latino community yeah and so i wonder if he like really wanted to do this or mm. if he was like i'm like it's, making up for my dad i'm i mean it seems like you know he and sarah michelle Gellar they met on this movie they got married a few years later uh and then at a certain point they just kind of both I, apparently i was reading up on it apparently she's kind of making a comeback right now doing tv stuff right she's doing some tv stuff i think now that her kids are older i think she wanted to kind of back off to like raise a family Mm -hmm. but he's like apparently he's just like doing the like fucking dad thing and like beautiful he's he's like he's like a foodie who like cooks for like fancy dinners for the family every night and he's like a purple belt and purple belt and brazilian jiu-jitsu and like I'm just like, you know, like, go be you, Freddie Prince Jr., because I just don't think, like, this was you. Because, like, he's watchable. Like, he's definitely watchable in sort of everything I've seen, but he's just not. He just, he just he didn't bring a lot to the table. Yeah. And I will also say the role of Ray is not, you know. That's fair, fair. That's a fair point. Like, It's not a, a, a juicy. Right. <laughs> he mostly just is <laughs> being like, oh, man. Oh. Oh man, like that's kind yeah. of his whole character. <laughs> that's the entire personality. It reminds me of, um, but I actually think he was a somewhat better actor, but kind of the same energy as Chris Klein, if you remember him. Yes. Where it's like handsome guy that just like a little dopey. Yes. Like, uh, you know, like they were sort of like the 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 proto himbo, right? Right. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't know who's a who's a who's a current himbo. I mean, we have himbos, but they're like very self-aware himbos because you get like, I feel like what's his fucking name in the stripper movies? Channing Tatum, right? He's got some like himbo energy, but he, right, Chris Hemsworth has has some himbo energy. Chris Klein and Freddie Prince Jr. walked so that Channing Tatum could run. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that's. <laughs> <it's kind of> a- <laughs> 
<laughs> that's yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> like we needed them to lead the way. Uh, they were pioneers. Yeah. <laughs> I think Chris Klein was maybe just used a little better in movies because like he's great in election, but he's not doing a lot. But it's just such a great yeah. role. I would like to briefly let's briefly talk about Sarah Michelle Geller because she yes. was filming Buffy the Vampire Slayer during this time. And I don't know if this is true, but I had heard that during her death scene, they they had to put rocks in her shoes because she was running too well in the heels. Uh, uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me either. Although it's also just a thing that I'm like, do we need to put the rocks in there? Like, yeah, she... just give her a note. Did you not torture me? But I do actually think that her and Ryan Felipe are, I think they're strong in this movie. Yeah, I think they're quite like Ryan Felipe is one of those actors who was always cons- like, and I haven't seen him anything in a while. I don't know what he's doing now, but like he was always, con- he kind of like often played versions of this character. Like, mm. you know, Cruel Intentions has got some similar energy. Real like bratty, entitled, rich dudes. But he was always really interesting. Like, and there, and you, and you kind of believe every second of them. Like, he actually feels like a genuinely like like a coiled spring in this. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna look him up and see what he's up to right now because I think he's just he's just about to come out in something that I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, so he's about to be. I don't know if this is a this is what I saw him in. Is this a movie? Okay, so he is about to be in this movie called Miranda's Victim, which I believe oh, is I've telling the story that. about how the Miranda rights were developed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've, heard, I've heard about that. Who is he playing? It. Let's see. Okay, it just says the character's name is John Flynn. But I saw him and I was like, oh, it's good to see you in something. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure he's been doing stuff. I just haven't, like, kept up with him. Mm-hmm. But- now, I believe that Miranda's Victim movie, though, might be, like, kind of a right-wing screed against is the it- Miranda really because it's it's about like really because it's got a it's got like luke wilson in it it's got kyle mclaughlin it's got andy garcia donald sutherland maybe maybe this is just people like jumping to conclusions but i think people were like oh because you know it's it's criticizing the use of miranda warnings because it's like we forgot the actual victim of the person who is like the basis for the miranda warnings but that may be people like jumping to conclusions i don't know because i don't know that anyone's really seen the movie yet if it's got like that kind of cast you would hope it would be right that they're not doing fucking like what (laughs) sound of freedom yeah exactly (laughs) i saw a post recently that was like you know movie posters of like i don't know the top movies that have come out this year or whatever and i don't know what i don't know what the post was about but for some reason i clicked on the comments and everybody was like Where's the sound of freedom? And I was like, nowhere, because it's garbage. Because it's garbage, yeah. alt-right propaganda. Guys, yeah. get with it. Right. No, but yeah. I, but back to the movie. Like, yeah, I think Ryan Philippe is actually genuinely, like, quite good. But yeah, let's let's spend some time on Sarah Michelle Gellar. Because I think she is one of those actors who, and I haven't, we've talked about it, I haven't seen a ton of Buffy. Uh-huh. But she is one of those actors from that time period who I don't think really got the, like credit she deserved in terms of like consistently doing not just like good work for like teenagers but like good work yeah like i really do i i buy her helen so much more than i buy jennifer love hewitt's julie yeah i like i 
I really, cause the whole thing, right. Is that she's this like beauty pageant queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she's moving to New York and she's going to become a serious actress and all of these things. And when Julie comes back into town a year later, she's like working at her father's store. Yeah. She was like, oh, I went she's, to New York. Didn't really work out. I was there. For yeah. Me. She's like her and Barry have, what I think is interesting is that it's very clear through her acting. She makes it very clear that she is a shell of her former self with right. Julie. I feel like the only thing that we have to see that she is a shell of her former the self is her hair. greasy hair. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, and a lot of like ticky kind of like, like as a quivery upper lip acting, but like, yes, but like, um, Sir Michelle Geller just like inhabits that you know, without having to overplay it. Yeah. And like somehow, and she's a petite woman. It's interesting to me because like when we come back to her a year later, she seems smaller. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, yeah, her body, she's kind of hunched over. Whereas before she had the upright sort of beauty queen. Yeah. Like, she's like shrinking in on herself. In the scene in the car where she's like, what happened to us? We used to be best friends. And then you know, Julie's like, we used to be a lot of things. You know, it's like you just. Well, what see... else did you all used to be though? Hold up, yeah. <laughs> the, like doesn't even make any sense. I know, I know. <laughs> and again, I don't want to come down too hard on Jennifer Love here because I think she was just poorly directed and poorly written in this movie. Yes, but like we see one character that you don't buy at all reacting to another character who you completely buy. Yeah. So yeah, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is, is. I think she's the best performance in here because she has the most nuance and the most kind of growth. And actually, the whole sequence from Barry's murder up through her murder is actually really pretty well. I mean, there's dumb things like the sister with the door and stuff. Yeah. Like when she's on stage and she sees Barry getting killed in the balcony and you can barely see him through the lights. Yes. That's actually really well done. When when she's trying to run and be like, you know, they're killing him, they're killing him. And you look up and you just see the shadow of the hook coming down. Yeah. Like there's stuff that's like really effective there. I think her whole death scene is actually and again because she sells it it's not that well done in terms of directed or anything but she really like you actually feel something when she dies she's the only character you feel anything about yeah and it's i mean it's hard because she's like she's so close you know what i mean like she's so close and and she puts up a fight like i think that's the other thing is like she puts up a hell of a fight and that was another, just again, visually, like, you know, with the, the fireworks going off of her head. As she's yeah. Like, you know, that's, it's just like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is like almost a real movie. It's like, it's like they reserved all their like filmmaking energy for her. Right. Like. <laughs> yeah. I do love that Jennifer Love Hewitt's, what are you waiting for, huh? Got yeah. spoofed in. Is it in Scary Movie that it's spoofed? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's a dumb moment it's like why it's why is she acting like a moment. tough like a tough girl when the rest of the movie is just her running around screaming well and also like what do you expect him to do like walk out from behind the tree and be like oh hey if you want we can settle this right now like yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's it, like it's, it's like clearly a moment that was designed for a trailer and not to actually make sense in the context of the movie. One hundred percent. I'd never thought about it that way, but that is one hundred percent what it is. Yeah. Okay. Well let's let's I, get back to just real quick and then oh, we yeah? can wrap it up. We should talk a little bit more about how this movie actually does relate to the urban legend because oh. like 
it really doesn't is i guess the point really i want to make is yeah. that like they talk about the tale of the huck of the beginning as they're sitting around mm-hmm. the beach and you get the different variations right yeah but then like the way the hook man character is used is so just like has nothing to do with anything why is right. he using a hook i guess because he is an actual fisherman but like it's just it's it's like every slasher villain needs to have their specific you know jason has his machete right michael myers has his butcher knife freddie has the glove so it's like okay let's give this guy a fucking fish hook i guess i guess and i guess it was like i don't i don't maybe there was this thing of like, Hey, let's kind of play with these sort of urban legend themes. Uh-huh. And how could we do that? We could give this guy a hook. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that's like, loose. <laughs> there was like very little actual thought put into it. I would love to see someone in the way that when a stranger calls tries to do, and I feel like succeeds for about 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. I would like to see someone actually try to take the tail of the hook the hook man story and see if he can build an actual movie around the actual urban legend hmm. i think you might run into the same problem that you do with when a stranger calls where it's like it's not going to support an entire film but i'd like yeah. to i'd like to see it incorporated in the movie in a more effective way and i was just trying i was just thinking like i was like is there a movie that i'm like i would really love to see uh like I, i'd really love to see someone make sorry is there an urban legend that i would really like to see made into a movie and I, sh- I struggle with it just because they are like, like I like I've been saying by nature uh-huh. of what they are, they're short. There's yeah. not a lot of meat to them. I think there's a reason why you don't actually see them used that often. I think that's the exact reason why. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where like, I don't know that you could get a full movie out of the tail of the hook. Yeah. And that's why I wonder like if somebody was to revisit the idea of urban legends, right. Of like taking Right. This thing of like there is somebody who is out there killing somebody in the in the the manner of these urban legends. If if you if can do it in a way that's better not like, movie. Yeah, not made. gimmicky like like the actual movie Urban Legend, which just feels yeah. like it's a gimmick building off a screen. The closest I think that you have to a movie that really uses the idea of the urban legend as the basis of the movie, and it's an urban legend that's made up for the movie, um, is Candyman, which we've talked about before. And you know what? Maybe yeah, I think that that is the one thing. But you're right; it is an urban legend that was created for the purpose of the movie. I mean, originally for the short story, but then right, the right, 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 right. Yeah, and that like it works there. Not in most of the sequels. I think it works in the first one and in the m- most recent kind of reboot one. Uh-huh. The sequels kind of move away from the urban legend too much, and then he becomes too much kind of a like freddy krueger type character but like that's the one time where it's like they actually take the concept of the urban legend you know they don't take an actual working urban legend that we all know but they but they but they're like what is what is it that an urban legend does like what purpose does it serve psychologically and let's see if we can build a movie around that and like the thing with with the Candyman urban legend is the legend itself had a kind of a a full story there was a whole story to it it wasn't just a couple of lines it wasn't just like face you know nameless boy and girl nameless 
you know, mental illness patient or whatever. It's like, it was this guy and he did this and he was in love with this person and it moved like this. Well, it's what's interesting is, is the, the movie actually explores the idea of going from the, like the universal kind of generalized urban legend down to like, no, here's the specific story because it starts where it is just like, it's basically Bloody Mary. It's like, say his name five times and he appears in the opening scene. It's just like, random girl with random boyfriend and then as they keep investigating it's like well there's actually this murder that happened in cambrina green you know that has seems to have some tie to it and uh-huh. then they end up talking to the other uh professor who's like no i know the real story which is you know he was this artist and blah blah blah, blah, blah. right 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 but i like what what the movie does really well is it like the true story of who Candyman was, they sort of acknowledge that it's like a very loose connection to the actual Candyman. Because the whole idea of Candyman is that it's actually the belief in him is what created him. Right. So he's not like a ghost of the guy, whatever, which is where the sequels go wrong. And where the reboot really goes right because they centered on like, no, it's actually like, you know, black trauma and black pain has mm-hmm. created this entity, you know. Right. But that's why that movie works, is it, is it actually examines the idea of an urban legend in a way that, frankly, neither of the movies we talked about today really do. I mean, no. when a stranger calls, tries. I know what you did last summer doesn't bother with it. <laughs> And I think that's, that's, I do think that it's in it, right? Because like, even with the hook, right? There are like, you've got undercurrents of like, we were saying like purity culture, uh, like a moral custodian, that kind of stuff. If we put stock into the idea that there was this urban legend of this babysitter who got these phone calls, Uh the thing about it, there's no, there's no more, like she, there's no moral to the story. Right. It's just, she was home, she's watching the kids and the call came from inside the house, but it's not like she, you know, she was a slutty slut who was- a slutty slut Make, slutting around being a slut. slutting around making out with her boyfriend while she should have been watching the children like it's just nothing it's just like oh here's this senseless act of terror right hmm interesting yeah. Well, if anybody else wants to make some urban legend themed movies, or if you know of any, yeah, I'd like let to us know, know if there are any out there that because I there's probably stuff out there that I don't know about. Yeah, or that we're like not thinking about, maybe right that we're like right. overlooking. So let us know. Let us know in the comments. Let me check. Do we have anything else we need to talk about? I don't think so. Okay, fantastic. If you've reached this point in Spotify, you can go and smash that star rating review or star rating for us. Go ahead and give us five stars. Why the hell not? Uh, If you're listening to us on any other platform, rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Other than that, um, ooh, uh, spooky, spooky. We're going to be having a good time. All right. Stay weird. Stay curious. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. your mind with the finest nonsense we could find might be true and that's the weirdest thing